This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Willie Anderson, and you're listening to the iTest for Two. Well, that is our way of saying this is the 4th of July edition of the I Test for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. And I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are, of course, Hall of Fame voters, joined by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon, and a very special guest from Ira's past that we will get to very shortly. But first, a Hall of Fame announcement, Ira. I see that the late John Vicenda, sometimes referred to as the voice of God, is the 2021 recipient of the Pro Football Hall of Fame's Pete Rozelle Radio TV Award. Now, two things here. One, I and maybe you can't believe he wasn't already in. And two, if you wonder why we can't believe he's already in, you may want to listen to the voice of God right here. The autumn wind is a pirate. Blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song, he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face that, is weather of course, is the Autumn Wind, which was written, Ira, by Steve Sable. I didn't know that. And narrated by John, who started in radio and TV in Philadelphia and was heard by NFL Films uh, head and, and Hall of Fame uh, recipient, Ed, well, well the, hall, the, the um, uh, NFL Films is in Cherry Hills, right outside of Philadelphia. He was heard by him, but he was heard by him in a bar. <laughs> they, 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 were, they met in a bar and, and Sable knew of him and said, that is such a great voice. Would you want to join NFL Films and do voiceovers? Vicenda said, yeah. And you know what? For the next 20 years, he did that until his death in 1984. Now he, Ed and Steve Sable, 2020 Centennial Class recipient, inductee, they all reside in Canton and, and Ira, great place for all three of them to be. You know, Clark, uh, I made the presentation for Ed Sable. It was my first presentation. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you were there that day, but I talked about how NFL films stunted my growth as a 16-year-old kid in Brooklyn. I should have been going out with Muriel Berkowitz. And instead, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching Cowboy Redskins game of the week on a Saturday night. I, uh, <laughs> they killed me, NFL films, Clark. They just killed me. <laughs> what happened to Muriel? Uh, she, uh, she, t- she died a spinster. So I, I was, the, she never got over my, uh, she never got over my, my snow, never got over it. Died of a broken heart, right? <laughs> okay. Ira, another hall of fame honor, a hall of fame voter and friend of the show, Bob Glover of Newsday. He was named the winner of the pro football writers career achievement award, formerly the McCann award, and will have his name on the wall at Canton too. He's the first one from Newsday to win. And Ira, another absolutely worthy recipient. You know, I'm so happy for, for Bob. And he does a great job in, in that room presenting guys. Um, well-deserved, Clark. And, um, you know, when you're in the media spotlight in New York like that, Clark, uh, you get a lot of eyes on your copy. Yeah. And um, he, he's one of the best in the business. Congratulations to Bob. 
What happens when you're in the media spotlight in Tampa, Ira? What happens is then you go to Cincinnati like our guest today. You, 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 take, the, you, you take the first plane out to Cincinnati. <laughs> okay. And lastly, before, that's a great way of introducing him, but I want to get to one other thing before we do get to Ken Brew. Uh, lastly, no award here, Ira, no award, just a recognition of your Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, Ira, they beat Montreal 5-1 last night, as you and everybody else knows, in the opening game of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Ira, you're probably gloating there, as other people who are telling me, you know what, beginning to the end for your Habs. But I tell them, Ira, as I would tell you, the last three Montreal Stanley Cup championships, yeah, they were won after the Habs lost the first game. So we'll see, Ira. You're absolutely right, Clark. And let's remember, the Islanders beat the Lightning in Tampa in game one in the previous series. And uh, we know how that ended. So you're right. Don't read too much into game one. Well, let's get on to our guest, Ira, because you've been waiting with bated breath to talk to Ken Brew. And uh, he is our next guest. Yes, he's someone from your past, Ira, and someone from my present. I talked to Ken quite a bit. Um, He's in Cincinnati. Ken Brew, former TV sports anchor, host of Morning Talk on WLWAM in Cincinnati and an inveterate music lover and great friend of both of ours. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Honored to have you on here. Well, thank you, Clark. And you're right, Ira and I do have a pass because right after he was done with Muriel, I dated her. (laughs) I was why she died of a broken heart. Yeah, I was a rebound love. (laughs) (laughs) You led the league in rebounds that year, didn't you, Ken? That's exactly right. right. And Ira was dead last in shooting percentage, I think. Um, Anyway, that's how how Muriel wound up with me. There you go. Um, I mentioned music, and I want to get to that first because it intrigued me when I was reading stuff about you, Ken. I didn't realize you were such a big music follower. You have three jukeboxes, I think, one of which was given to you by your wife on your 40th birthday. And uh, you have two others. I think your favorite albums, the Beatles, White Album. I also see that you had Ginger Baker's son, Kofi, on your program last Sunday. And, you know, it's funny. A lot of people, maybe even Ian Glendon, I don't know, probably not. But uh, a lot of people who are, let's just say, younger than Ira, you and I, don't know who Ginger Baker was. But wow, could he yeah. drum? I, I loved listening to him with Cream, um, Blind Faith. Then he had Ginger Baker's Air Force. But um, that was a great get. And I, I also know you said you wished you interviewed John Lennon. So anyway, I, I just didn't realize you were so big into music. Um, yeah. when, and because this is a Hall of Fame themed show, Ira, do you think I'm going to ask him the, the go-to question here? Well, before you ask that, I'm going to ask Drew this. Uh, Kenny, uh, name a group or, or, or a big singer or a performer that came out of the uh, city of Cincinnati, uh, Kenny. Uh, I'd probably start with James Brown. Uh, he did all his, his recording up here back in his heyday. He was really from Macon, George, but, he, but uh, we've had, we haven't really had like Bo Donaldson in the Haywoods. Uh, we really haven't had a lot of, of like big time singers from here, but a lot of big time bands for, from, uh, from here, like, um, uh, the group that did Green Tambourine back in the '60s—they were Piper. like a, a bar band here. So we've had a lot. We've had a lot of one-hit wonders up here. But we, other than Brown, who's not from here but did most of his recording here, it really, you know, really isn't uh, that big a place. Bootsy Collins, uh, mm-hmm. who played in Brown's band, went on with Parliament Funkadelic to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as well. 
but no, it's uh, uh, Tampa's got a lot of great groups that, uh, you know, like the uh, Atlanta Rhythm Section's roots are in Tampa. Uh, Rodney Justo, who was uh, like the epicenter of that group, he uh, he's a Tampa boy, and uh, you've had a lot of different, uh, a lot of different individual artists. That come well, out. I can't wait for Clark Judge's uh, key question here. What do you got, Clark? Well, what do you think it is? I mean, I said a Hall of Fame themed show. I'm asking yeah. about music. I'm going to ask him about the member of the uh, newest member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Ian Glennon. Oh. Who would that be? Todd Rundgren. <laughs> you got Todd it, Rundgren. Todd, Rundgren. Todd Rundgren. Have you ever interviewed Todd? Um, you, we talked about the voice of God. Todd is God in my eyes. You ever yeah. talked to him or interviewed him, Ken? Yes, I have. Uh, about two years ago, three years ago, he was promoting a book, and that was his tour, but he did concerts to promote the book. Normally, it's the other way around, but I, I, had, him on, uh, I had him on the show a couple of years ago, and uh, very, really interesting guy. He really doesn't care whether he's in the rock and roll hall of fame. It's like, he may not even show up for the ceremony. He Possible. just, he was really apolitical or agnostic about that. But yeah, I talked to him. He obviously he's, you know, he's a Philly guy and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, produced as many great hits as he recorded. He produced uh bat out of hell for uh meatloaf. It was right, a little wow. studio in Woodstock, New York and, and meatloaf and Jim Steinman, the late Jim Steinman couldn't get the, anybody to bite on it. They walk into this studio where Rundgren was, in essence, part owner and producer in, in Woodstock, New York. And he's the guy that produced that album. So without him, you could say there would be no Paradise by the Dashboard Lights or, you know, uh, Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. Yeah, he yeah. was a really interesting cat. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about him uh, being ambivalent about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've followed him since... 1971, and I've seen 81 concerts of his, and I just actually signed up. How many concerts? How many? 81, 81, and I just signed up for the 82nd one in Boston, Ian. You know, I've got an extra ticket if you want to fly up here and go. Um, But anyway, signed up for the 82nd one, and uh, all those uh, albums you talked about that he produced, yeah, Meat Loaf, Bad Out of Hell, he engineered uh, the the band Stage Fright album, Patti Smith, he produced Hall & Oates, I've got the Hall & Oates uh, album that he produced. I, I love Todd Rundgren. He did Bad Finger, did so many stuff, yeah. so many uh, really good bands and good stuff that yeah. um, I always thought, why isn't he in? And then when he didn't get in in 2019, I think it was, I said, forget it. They, you know, they just yeah. don't get it. And and he made that point, and I think he was right. And now that he is in, I did see his son was interviewed in Cleveland, of all places, apparently mm-hmm. coaches in high school there, and he was very grateful. So maybe he does show up. I think his yeah. wife probably will say, hey, Todd, this ain't yeah. about you. This is he's about out you. here this summer, too. He's, I, whatever tour he's on, he comes through here, I want to say, in August at one of the venues here. Yeah, yeah. and he's got with a great stadium anthem, too, right? Bang on the drum all day. Every single stadium yeah. and arena plays that thing. You know, it's funny because that was a throwaway song for him. It was. Green Bay, yeah. In Green Bay, they play it after every score. And you're right, in a lot of places they play it. And yeah. it's one of those, like, hello, it's me. That's when he doesn't like playing, but people identify with him. He's so much more complex than that. We'll have a separate uh, segment on this, yeah. Ken, uh, yeah. you know, a couple of yeah. years from now. But anyway. They, uh, they, played, they played bang on the drum all day after every single score in the Bengals' 2007 season. They played it four times at uh... – <laughs> <laughs> there he is, Ken Brew, the uh, 7 o'clock show, a little different than the 9 o'clock show. He'll be back <laughs> with some more stand-up comedy. Okay, Ken, we didn't ask you here to talk about music or Todd Rundgren, uh, but the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you live in Cincinnati. You follow the Bengals. They're opening a ring of honor this year. Uh, Paul Brown and Anthony Munoz already have been named as two of the four 
who are going to be inducted. I guess the other two are up to the fans with fan vote. But I guess my question is, why now? Why are they doing this now? Um, largely because this is a franchise in transition. Um, it used to be Mike Paul Brown and Mike Brown. Then it was Mike Brown. And then eventually his daughter, Katie. And now it's Katie's daughter, Elizabeth, who mm-hmm. is young. She's, she's 27. Very plugged in, very much in social media and all that. And the clamoring here among the fan base has been for a ring of honor or a Hall of Fame. The, the, the Reds have one of the best baseball Hall of Fames of any individual team in that sport. Something, you know, honor the legacy of this team. You know, the Bengals for a long time were just the butt end of a joke. And unfortunately, along the way, a lot of players who are great players, I mean, terrific players on other teams, they might have been superstars. They've kind of got lost in that process. And, and quite frankly, I think the Bengals and Mike never figure out, out a way to make money off it. I mean, I hate to say it, but I think that's the root of all things here. And so now that Mike is well into his 80s and uh, Katie is well into, I think she's, she's, if she's not 50 yet, she's getting close to being 50. Yeah. Um, they just kind of figured, okay, and, and Clark, you and I have had a conversation about this. I know you don't totally agree with this, but my, my feeling has always been, if you don't honor your own, why would you expect the Pro Football Hall of Fame to honor somebody? I, I, just, I, just, uh, I just think it's long overdue in a sport that um, you know, really likes to honor its own. Why this team hasn't done it has just been kind of a mystery. Uh, Ken, you know, I've been looking at this, Ken. Uh, the numbers are just incredible. And you know them all too well. Can the last 80 games, five years, they've won 25 games, 25. Yeah. And more importantly, and more alarmingly, and I couldn't believe this when I saw it, Ken. Ken, they haven't won a playoff game since 1990. Yeah. Is that correct, Mr. Brew? It is. When they, when, uh, they beat, uh, I believe, the, the Houston Oilers at that time, and Wade Wilson was the quarterback because two weeks before, Warren Moon broke his thumb in a regular season game against the Bengals. Two weeks later, they're back here, and they beat the Oilers, and that's been it. Haven't won a game in over 30 years. So, Ken, with, with that backdrop and the beaten down fans and, the, and you know, it, it appears that the Browns are on the rise. Ken, they got a nice team. Um, how, how beaten down is Bengal Nation uh, at, at the moment? You know, Ira, it's it's everybody's beaten down here. I mean, baseball fans are beaten down here. College fans, basketball fans are beaten down here. Cincinnati looked like it was going to the national title back in 2000, and Kenyon Martin broke his leg in a conference tournament. Um, the soccer team doesn't win. Uh, it's it's. I think this town is just is hungry for it. They'll be there. They go out in mass anyway. The minute there's a whiff of anything that looks like it's working with Bengals. They're out there with jerseys and everything, and they're having rallies and, and all this. The, uh, the, just the whiff of being good, the whole borough thing, you know, just the whiff of being good has energized the city. But, you know, there's just nothing tangible to show for it. It's, um, this town hasn't won anything since 1990 when the Reds won the World Series. Ken, speaking of uh, Joe Burrow, what are your uh, early impressions, uh, not just as a player, but as a leader? Is this guy the real deal, Ken? Larry, you know, I don't do impressions. I only do street comedy. But um, <laughs> it's an old animal house line. But I think he's the real deal. I mean, look, hey, if they give him what he needs, which is time to throw, 
which is what every quarterback needs. But if they give him that kind of protection, look at who he has to throw to. And look what he did in that that magical year of 2019. I I think he's the real deal. And I think now that he's got Jamar Chase and now that he has a second year with T. Higgins, you still have Tyler Boyd, who's a great, I think, possession receiver. Joe Mixon is one of the better running backs. If they can figure out a way to protect the guy, which they have, they certainly did not last year. Yeah, I think I think they can be something special. I think they can score a lot of points. Now, I, did, I don't think they're in the same you know, category right now as the Browns or even the Ravens, but I think they can be a hell of a lot better than what they've been the last five or six years. We're speaking with Cincinnati broadcaster and stand-up comic Ken Brew <laughs> on the podcast, too. And, and Ken, um, I guess I'll ask you, you, you mentioned that the Bengals have gotten nothing tangible out of the last, whatever I said, 80 games or something in recent years. But what about the fans and the franchise just in general? And then I'm talking about from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Maybe our listeners don't know this. And if they don't, I'm sorry they don't. But the Bengals, in, ever since they over 50 years, I don't know how many, 53, 54 years, whatever it is, um, of existence, have won one Hall of Famer, and I'm talking about a player, and that's Anthony Munoz. Now, yeah, Charlie Joyner played with them, and Terrell Owens had a cup of coffee with him, but I'm talking about one guy who spent most of his career with him. One. They've got people who are capable of being on that um, Hall of Fame tangent there or Hall of Fame radar, and that's Ken Riley's one, Ken Anderson's another one, Lamar Parrish. I mean, you can go down the list, Willie Anderson. And Ken and I have talked about this before, but I know that People there are frustrated, and I've heard talk about, I think, a jungle at the Hall rally at Canton. I don't know if it's July yeah. 19th, something like that. It was, uh, two, it was two weeks ago. Oh, it yeah. was. Okay, yeah, so June 19th. Yeah. Um, how did that go? Did it make any impact? Is there any ripple effect from that? Because I, I honestly didn't read anything about it, and, um, and I just wonder what the uh, follow-up was from that. Yeah, I think they had, a, they had a couple of hundred people that were up there, and they had a big uh, rally outside of the hall, and it was under a tent. It was a very nice day, and they had players zoom, zoom in and the former players zoom in and, and participate. So, I mean, there's, there's that, but it's, it's kind of like, you can you can rally the troops, but unless the generals really want it to happen, it it doesn't happen. I, you know, I I've championed Ken Anderson for a long time to get into the Hall of Fame, and he suffers from never having won a Super Bowl, which is just staggering. I mean, I mean, you guys vote. It's like how the hell can you hold him responsible for that in a team sport? But they do. I've said this again. You put Ken Stabler's stats next to Ken Anderson's stats, are the same guy. They're the exact same guy. Stabler had a wait, didn't see it in his lifetime. He's in. I hope that doesn't happen to Anderson, but I've always championed him. I think the more egregious omission is Ken Riley. I mean, if you look at everybody, every cornerback on the interception chart ahead of him, they're in the Hall of Fame. If you look at six of the eight behind him, they're in the Hall of Fame. This guy didn't just, you know, you know, limp his way out of the leg. Ken Riley, uh, if you go back and just look at his stats, his last year, his last year in the league, which I think was 1983, he had like eight interceptions, two for touchdowns. He had a couple of fumble recoveries. He had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Played with, I think, arguably one of the best cornerback tandems in the league for about eight or nine years with, uh, with Lamar Parrish. And yet, uh, for whatever reason, he's been overlooked. I think a lot of it may, frankly, have to do with small market, you don't have all your games on television. You have them obviously locally here, but it's not like it is today where you can see every single game 
And a lot of his career was spent pre ESPN sports center highlights. So he was a local legend. And as time goes on and you guys know this very well, you know, it becomes a younger process. And I think he got caught up in the wash. I, I would hope that he gets serious consideration this year, but you would know more about that than me. Well, especially Ira, because he's on the senior committee and both Ken Anderson and Ken Riley are seniors, but let's just talk about the elephant in the room there. And you and I have addressed this on your radio program before, Ken, you've got a guy opposite him, Lamar Parrish, who's also hall of fame worthy. Now, mm -hmm. Ken Riley has 65 interceptions. As you said, it's tied for fifth. It's tied with Charles Woodson, yeah. a first ballot hall of famer. Yeah. Ken Riley can't get into the sniff, but Charles Woodson's the first ballot hall of famer. Of course, he's, you mentioned a uh, big difference there. Charles Woodson did win a Super Bowl. Charles Woodson also defensive player of the year, but let's just talk about him versus Lamar Parrish. Lamar Parrish, eight pro bowls, five mm -hmm. all pros. Yeah. Ken Riley, no pro bowls. Um, so where do those two stand opposite each other in terms of your estimation? And I do think that's part of the problem here because people say, wait a second. Yeah, he had a lot of interceptions. Look at the guy on the other side. Maybe they were thrown to his side all the time because yeah. they were trying to avoid Lamar Parrish. Yeah, and I think that's a legitimate point. I really do. And again, Lamar Parrish was uh, uh, Parrish and Riley. I mean, I, I again go back to that time, and I'm I'm sure we could name a half dozen, but I'm not sure how many better you can name cornerbacks in the league, cornerback tandems in the league at that time. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Eight-time Pro Bowler. I tend to look more at all pro. He was a three-time first team yeah. uh, uh, all pro. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. And I totally get the, uh, the, the argument that, you know, maybe it was Parrish who lined up against Lynn Swan and not necessarily Ken Riley. Totally get that. But Riley lined up with some other pretty damn good wide receivers in his time too and found a way somehow, some way to make plays. Now, um, I, I, I want to say Lamar Parrish had 47 career interceptions, something like that. I think that's was, right. I think yeah. that's right. And I think, and I, I think that's, that's a very stout number, but I think there's also something to be said for making plays and whether or not they were throwing away from Parrish, you still had a guy who made plays and was a difference maker. And quite frankly, on some of the worst Bengal teams, and there were a bunch of those in the late seventies and early eighties, he was, well, obviously not the Super Bowl year, but he was, he was the best. You might make a, an argument. He was, he was the best player on that team defensively. Um, and Ken, I think even in the last year, I think you might've picked off nine passes right at the end. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, Ken, team? one more for me, my man. Um, yeah. Thanks so much. Great talking to you. Ken, I'm going to ask you about a guy. I think you've gotten to know him very well over the years. This will be his third year out of football. Marvin Lewis, Ken, Three years out of the sidelines. I'm looking at his numbers, Ken, 16 years. He had a winning record yeah. with the Bengals, but he never won a playoff game, Ken, 0-7. Yeah. And those last three years weren't very good. Ken, um, is Marvin going to get back into this? Does he want to? And um, what kind of legacy does Marvin Lewis uh, leave as an NFL head coach? Well, I know he wants to because he's interviewed for jobs since he left here and he's helping his buddy Herm Edwards out there in Arizona. But Marvin, Marvin has a couple of things, I think, that you would look at and say, OK, first of all, 
he's strictly defense. This is an offensive league. There are a lot of offensive minds out there, young offensive minds that may come up in conversation before Marvin. Marvin, though, is very organized. He's extremely loyal. He stayed here far too long. He lost the room. And I think, you know, inexplicably, he had this penchant for players that always seem to get in trouble. I mean, you know, he had Vontez Burfecht. That was his project. Vontez Burfecht cost them a playoff game against the Steelers here five years ago. And he had Adam Jones. Adam Jones is a great guy. He's a great player, but something inside him snaps all the time. And you've got, you've got, you had the issue with him on the field, the same play. He had a, you know, he had a, a draft classes. You go back to their draft class. I want to say in 2006 or, I mean, the, the first three or four guys, they were, they were just, just knuckleheads. One guy lost his life, Chris Henry. Right. Uh, another guy was a terrific middle linebacker, but had substance abuse problems in Odell Thurman. Marvin always, I think, is going to be linked with uh, that kind of baggage. Now, can he coach? Yeah. He's older. Not old, but older. He's in his 60s. Could he put together a team? Could he win? Yeah. But I think he's – If Mar this sounds crazy, but if Marvin Lewis stayed here maybe five years fewer than what he spent here – and not be so linked to what you just said. Can't win a playoff game. Team one south. Uh, you know all the things pop. You know pop up. And it's a young man's game. It's a young man's game. And that's and most of these guys are, that are beginning hired, I think, seem to be young offensive-minded coaches. And I think those things may weigh against them. But can he can he do it? Yeah, I think he can. Yeah, you're I right. I haven't hired anybody, Ira. I haven't hired a coach in my life. <laughs> You're right about the, the, the next hires. They're young, offensive-minded coaches who seem to be linked to the Rams and or Sean McVay. I mean, that's the way or, it goes. I mean, it's like... or, Sean McVay, or Sean McVay's barista. If yeah. Sean McVay's barista and you, you serve go. coffee to someone, he immediately <laughs> becomes eligible for a head coach's position. There he is, Ken Brew, stand-up comedian. Yeah. Hey, Ken, Ken, I got one more question for you, and it has nothing to do with football. So I opened it with nothing to do with football, and I will ask you about your favorite interview because I saw you tell the Gerald Ford story and it's mm -hmm. a great one. So I would like you for Ian and Ira's benefit to please recount your most memorable Gerald Ford story of all time. Okay. So after I left Tampa and I came to Cincinnati, I got hooked up with a group out of St. Louis called Bud Sports and they produced everything, normally everything without a ball. So, you know, I would, I would work with them and do lumberjack contests. I did, um, horseshoe pitching. I did anything that monster truck racing, anything. And they called me and they said, we have the rights to the Gerald Ford celebrity golf classic. It's in Vail. Would you like to host a one hour program? I said, sure, absolutely. So they line it up. I forget. It was in the summertime, which, um, which was good. I remember they were scrambling to get people to participate, but they had Whitey Ford and they had Yogi Berra. They had uh, Dr. J. Um, who else they had? Like Ed Marinero. It wasn't an A-list by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a charity golf classic, and they had uh, they had the president there. So the the, the culmination, the, the epicenter of this whole thing was going to be an interview that they were going to allow me to do again uh, with Gerald Ford, and it was going to happen on the 18th green after the Czech presentation. Yogi Berra, by the way, won the tournament. Anyway, 
So <laughs> I'm standing there and I got it. Literally, this was this is not a high budget operation. It was a camera on a tripod, me with a microphone and some guy with a mic, uh, some guy that was like lighting or something. So the, uh, the, the the tournament ends and I see this golf cart coming up. It's, it's just coming up like the middle of the eight, like it owned like it owned the place, the middle of the 18th fairway. It's coming up and it stops. And it's some guy. And this is Vail in July or August. It was warm. It was like 80, 85, 90 degrees. There's some dude in a black suit, white shirt, tie, and sunglasses. Had to be a Secret Service guy. There was Susan Ford. There was Betty Ford. I didn't see Steve Ford. And then there was whomever Susan Ford married. Anyway, there was one of those big 12-seater golf carts. And they pull up. And Gerald Ford gets out of the, uh, gets out of the cart. And I, I don't know if Gerald knew where he was at this point, but he was, he gets out of the cart and they said, um, there's a young man over here. Remember we talked about this, Mr. President, you're going to, uh, you're, you're going to go. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. Of course. Of course. He said, now he'll come over just as soon as the, um, the, uh, tournament is, is, is concluded here. It'll just be a couple of minutes. So the, the guy that was arranging this, he had to be the tournament director or something. Comes He's all right. He said, it's all set. You're going to get, Three minutes with the president. I said, all right. He says, there's two things you can't ask him about. I said, okay. He said, the first thing you can't ask him about is the Warren Commission and the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> it's like, okay, that was not on my list of questions. <laughs> no worries there. He said, the second thing you can't ask him about is the pardon of Richard Nixon. There you go. And I said, well, I said, uh, that was that was down on the list, but it wasn't one of the top five. <laughs> No questions about that. Right. As soon as you're ready, you can walk over to the president. So the guy gets the camera, the, the guy it's like, brings the lights over. I walk over, I get a microphone. and So we're setting up. And I walk up to Gerald Ford, and the first words out of my mouth were, pardon me, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen words that just like this? And they're like, you're trying to grab them back. And this guy was great. He reaches over, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, son, you wouldn't be the first. <laughs> <laughs> and I, ha I, actually have, I actually have a picture. It's a still picture. I've got it on my wall downstairs of, of, of that actual moment. And it was, it, was the, it was one of those things I'll never forget. But damn, was I embarrassed after that. I was like... I'm on the plane flying home the next day. You stupid son! How could you say something like that? But anyway, that's 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 probably number one on my list. Outstanding, we, Kenny. Outstanding. Yeah, we can't stop. We just cannot top that one, Ken. Ken Brew, thank you so much. Always good to catch up, and you're welcome here anytime, especially when you want to talk to Ira about those senior committee. <laughs> I tell Thanks, everybody Ken. I know. I tell everybody I know you guys. So. Thank Thanks, you buddy. for both joining me on my shows up here. And thank you for coming, allowing me to come in and join you on yours today. Thank you. You bet. That was Ken Brew. And Ira, it's funny. We started by talking about the voice of God. There's the voice of God part two. You listen to that voice? Great voice. Great voice. Hey, um, uh, Clark, he was telling that story about Culver. He left one part of that Culver House uh, uh, Lehman Bennett story out. When, when Culver House crossed everybody up and said, well, we had a tough year and unfortunately... Uh, Lehman won't be with us next year. Uh, Lehman, why don't you come up and say a few words? He asked Bennett to come up after he just fired him. I mean, it was uh, that, that is classic. That is absolutely classic. Well, that's going to do it for today. But guess what? 
We're not done for this week. We have one more podcast with former special teams coordinator Brad Seeley. And Ira's not talking about Todd Rundgren or the Bengals. But what, Ira? What do you think? Or who, Ira, do you think he's talking about? He's talking about special teamers banging on the drum all day, Clark. You got it, Chief. Very good. And you can guess who that person is. Should be a good one. So don't miss it here on the iTest for two. We'll see you then.